All right. Good morning again. And I'm telling you what, I, I'm pumped up. I have my single serving cup of peanut M&Ms and some Dasani water, and I am ready to go. And I hope you're ready to go. I know some of you all have been going since earlier this morning. And hey, God be with you. And may God be with all of you listening whenever you get a chance to listen to this message. And we're glad we're, by God's grace, we're able to by uh, Daniel's uh, wonderful expertise and and the thing, the gifts God's given him, that we can put this forth online for many people to be able to watch and listen to. And we just pray you get a blessing out of it. As we continue talking about heaven, uh, this is not going to be doom and gloom like we heard a little while ago. I mean, those things are absolutely true. We need to be hearing those, hearing those kind of messages because of the world we live in right now but there is another world still yet to come one of these days nothing like this a new heaven and a new earth that's coming one day but this morning we're going to talk about and answer the question has heaven already been visited by people that are alive today that's a very interesting question isn't it we're going to try to answer that this morning god is calling me those were some of the last words of the 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody. He said, God is calling me. He died in his home in Massachusetts on December 22nd, 1899. He didn't make it to the turn of the millennium. He almost made it, but he didn't quite make it. But you know, the fact that D.L. Moody actually died is nothing unusual, is it? Is it? Every one of us die, or we're going to die one day, unless the church is raptured, which is imminent, more than likely, we're going to die on this earth. What made his death interesting, though, was an experience he had before he died. And according to the article of the New York Times, Moody said, he said, I see earth receding, heaven is opening, and he said, God is calling me. Did Moody have what we call today an NDE, a near-death experience? His great-nephew, Raymond Moody, he certainly thought so. He really thought so. Raymond Moody is the, the, the beginning. He's the father of this great movement that's been going on for decades about these near-death experiences that has just swept the culture by storm. In his 1975 book he, titled Life After Life, Moody recount, recounted instances of people who either came close to, to death or had died. Then, he, then these people would come back to tell what they seen on the other side. And of course, there's a great difference between the experience Raymond Moody accounts with many of these people and the experience of his great uncle, the evangelist D.L. Moody. What's the difference? D.L. Moody actually died, okay? He actually died, and he, he died, and he didn't come back to tell what he seen on the other side. But even more importantly, unlike those who have claimed to have that experience, many people have claimed to have seen other things on the other side, and they've come back to try to tell us tidbits about what had, hap had happened. But like I said, D.L. Moody didn't do that. He never, he never ever come back with a message of what awaits us on that other side. Now, with so many people today, they are claiming to have... have uh, experienced near-death experiences, it begs to answer that question, have people been to heaven and visited and come back to tell us what they saw? 
first of all, we need to define, it would help actually if we could define what an NDE, a near-death experience is. And throughout the remainder of this morning and Wednesday evening, when I say NDE, that's, a, that's an abbreviation for an acrostic for near-death experience. It takes it's a little bit shorter, NDE, okay? So if I lose you, you know what I'm talking about. Listen to this. According to the International Association of Near-Death Studies, can you believe such an organization exists? But it does. The Association, the International Association of Near-Death Studies, the definition of the, their definition of a, an NDE is, quote, a profound psychological event that may occur to a person close to death or if not near death in a situation of physical and emotional crisis. It includes transcendental and mystical elements. Be that as it may, okay? Those who study these near-death experiences agree that there are many common components of these near-death experiences. And I'm going to list about nine of them, so just follow along with me and listen very carefully. Several components of NDEs. There's a sensation of floating upward and viewing the scene of one's dead body. Uh, traveling through a tunnel or a dark space towards some being of light. Time spent in a beautiful otherworldly realm. Meeting God, Jesus, and or angels. Encountering deceased loved ones, relatives, and friends. Story, stories of one's life passing in review as if they're watching a movie. The sensation of overwhelming peace and love, though some reported experiencing terrifying scenes of demons and distress. How about approaching a barrier of some sort, signaling the point of no return? And then finally, being called back and reluctantly agreeing to return to one's body and life. I, 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 sorry, they didn't want to come back to their life that they had previously had, but anyway. Many people have claimed to have had these kinds of experiences. Question is, are they legitimate? Are they real experiences? Now, whether they're valid or not, near-death experiences, like I said, are increasingly popular. They're very popular. Many say they wish they could experience them. I don't want to experience it. I want to go straight on to death. I don't want to have to be tossed around and think, well, I don't know what's going on. Anyway, many people long for these NDEs. What is it about NDEs that are so appealing? Well, I, I think there are two reasons that they are so interesting. You know, books are bought, they've been bought by the millions of people who have claimed to have had these experiences. But the fact is, and you probably will agree, between the life we live right now and the life yet to come for us Christians, there is a great big dark veil, a dark cloud that separates that. Because really, we don't know, we go by faith what the Bible tells us, but we really can't tell from personal experience what lies on the other side. Agree with me? Okay, all right. Everybody's giving me a deer to headlight look, but okay. But that, that there is the unknown. There's a great dark uh, blanket, a sheet that separates this life from the next life. We're curious about what eternity is for us. We're very curious beings on that. Take, for instance, the 2004 book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, a true story of life and death. It re really created this uprising and in interest in NDEs. Then later came another book, 23 Minutes in Hell. Oh, my goodness, 23 Minutes in Hell, one man's account of what he saw, heard, and felt in a place of torment. At least that part's right. It is a place of torment. 
People bought these books by the millions, but the best was still yet to come. You know what book I'm going to talk about. In 2010, the very popular book written, Heaven is for Real. Remember that, right? Okay, the book was written first, and then, of course, the movie comes later. It was about a little boy who took a brief trip to heaven and then back again. It was written by Todd Burpo, and it was about his four-year-old son, Colton Burpo's experience. All right? He was four years old when he died in an emergency surgery. He came back to life after a supposed three-minute trip to heaven. Some of you might get mad. That was a really good movie, I'll tell you. But I'm probably going to tear it to shreds, okay? So, anyway, during this three-minute trip to heaven, four-year-old Col Colton Burpo told about his sister, whom the mother had miscarried, and her and his parents had told him nothing about. He had finally met his great-grandfather for the very first time, he claims he saw John the Baptist, God the Father, who had two wings. He said he had two wings. You didn't hear that in the movie. It's in the book. He had two wings and a Holy Spirit that was bluish in color and transparent. I'm not believing anywhere. You know, I got the, we got the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. I'm not transparent and bluish in nature coming out of my pores. I'm sorry. I'm just, anyway, that's what he claimed. But this book sold over 10 million copies. Big time money was coming in, all right? And that movie, of course, was released in April of 2014, earning over $101 million in the box office. Astronomical numbers. Then another book was written titled The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. After that, it was written by Kevin and Alex Malarkey. I like to say Malarkey because that's exactly what it was. You think, <gasps> You can't be judging somebody like that. That's exactly what it was. Later on, a letter of confession was written that the whole thing had been made up, and it was fraudulent from beginning to ending. And because of that, the publishers had to pull all the books off, offline and pull them off the bookshelves. The fact is, we have a natural curiosity, though, don't we, about the unknown. It's just part of our nature. Now, the second reason these accounts and books are popular is, number two, we have such a longing for heaven. We have a longing for heaven. I bet you never thought, Stephen, when are you going to get to the Bible? Well, here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. The writer says, King Solomon says, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity, he said, in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. We want to know what God has prepared for all of us. But the real question is, where are we looking at for, these rel for reliable information? What is the source that we're looking at for this information? I just mentioned Alex uh, Malarkey. No, it's Malarkey's fraudulent book. In his letter of apology, I want you to listen to what he said. And this is part of his letter of apology. He said, Quote, when I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. Interesting. People have profited from lies and still continue to today. They should read the Bible, which is enough. Praise God. The Bible is the only source of truth. Anything written by man cannot be infallible. I want the whole world to know that the Bible is sufficient. Did you catch the theme of that statement? Did you catch that real close? The Bible, the fact is, God's inspired, infallible word is 
sufficient for us. Always had. That's why it stood the test of time, ladies and gentlemen. It has withstood it, and it's the best-selling book of all time, the Bible, because the Bible is true. That's why any experience that we may think we have or an experience that someone else has to be measured up against the perfection, the standards, the truth, the sufficiency of God's holy inspired word. The Apostle John said in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, he says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, true that is today. It is so true. I don't care who claims to have what kind of experience. I don't care if it's an avid follower of Christ. Every experience must be tested, sifted through against God's holy word. Think about the Apostle Paul, the greatest evangelist in the history of the world. Paul had all the credentials, didn't he? In Acts chapter 17, he preached the gospel to the, the Bereans. But what did the Bereans do? Look what they did after they heard the message of Paul. Acts 17 and verse 11. Dr. Luke records, now these were more noble-minded than those of Thessalonica. They were really godly men and women. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I'm thinking, were they examining the things Jesus said? Were they examining the New Testament? No, they were examining the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament had, wasn't even a thought at the time. 30 years later, the Gospels finally come. They were examining the Old Testament Scriptures to see if these things were true, that the Apostle Paul was teaching them. And we need to examine every experience we have from the truth of God's Word. The question is, are near-death experiences, are they biblical? How do we know these experiences aren't simply explained by a release of some kind of chemical on our brain to help ease the pains of some of, the, some of the bad experiences that we may have in our lives and in this world today. You know, there are certain drugs. God has given man a great gift of coming up with some modern great drugs out there to help with many different ailments and diseases and cancers that we have. There are drugs out there that can alter brain chemicals that can um, possibly give you an impression. You may be having an out-of-body experience or something, you know. On the other hand, what, here, here's a great question. What if somebody through one of these supposed NDEs comes to faith in Christ, you know, or they make a life-changing decision, you know, who are we to question such an experience? Again, it all comes back to what does the Bible say? Always come back, well, let's see what Scripture says. Does it line up? And I'll, this morning and then Wednesday evening, I want to give seven principles in total for evaluating near-death experiences. And we're going to cover three of them this morning, whether it's yours or somebody you may know. And always remember a great principle of H2O. Praise God, it's so good to have water. Amen? It is. Seven principles for evaluating near-death experiences. I didn't mean for that to be funny. That's the truth. I saw you rolling your eyes back here. Anyway, number one, remember... Near death is not death, right? Near death is not death. You die once and then the judgment. I've said this verse over and over. 
Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed inasmuch for man to die, not more than once, to die once. And then guess what happens after that? Then comes judgment. To die once and then judgment. Some of you may be thinking, some of you may be listening out there, well, Stephen, that's just not true. What about the story in the New Testament of Lazarus? We all remember the story of Lazarus. What about Jairus' daughter? Or what about the son of the woman of Zarephath? You know, there are many accounts of the peop- in the Bible of people dying and then they're being brought back to life by, the whole, by God's Spirit. And then later, guess what? They died again. They had to die again a second time. How can these be explained? Well, let me, let me clue you in on that. I have one word to explain those specific situations. We have one word for that. Miracles. It's the exception, not to the rule. We have miracles. God performed miracles. He brought those people back to life for his purpose, to glorify God, to show that these people had the power of Jesus, and sometimes Christ himself did it, to raise these people back to life. But then guess what? They had to die again. They are miracles. They're not usuals. They are the exception to the rule I just said. And as we're going to see here in just a moment, in every one of those cases, okay, we're not going to look at them all individually, but if you tie them all together, not one of those people like Lazarus who died and was brought back to life ever told of what they saw on the other side. Did Did the scripture record that anywhere? Not one place whatsoever. The fact is nearly dead is not dead the only people who get to go to heaven and see what the, see what there is in heaven are those who have actually died i want you to look at it like this this may be a lame illustration but look at it like this we don't know more but you all live in i'd say if, if mount vernon has a suburb it doesn't but you have a mount vernon address okay and let's just say let's just say donna has some friends that live in chicago Okay, and they've always wanted to come uh, visit down here in Mount Vernon, you know, get away from the, 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 the fuss and the, and the hassle of the big city and the lights and the craziness. Get away for a few days on a weekend, and they'd like to come visit, but they know there's so much to come visit down in southern Illinois, you know. You said it, not me, okay? Out there, if you heard that, don't listen to that. But though, but that's how she feels. And I, you know, I'm going to be quiet on that. But anyway, they want to come visit Mount Vernon for whatever reason. But they want to come visit Mount Vernon, and they'd like to come see you, Donna and Gary and the boys. But they're going to be they're going to be jam packed with things to do, and they're just not going to have the time to do it. So they call you up, Donna. We're thinking about coming to spending the weekend at Mount Vernon again. I don't know why, but they want to, and you give them a very small list of things to do in Mount Vernon, okay? You know, uh, so uh, you don't hear from them on that appointed weekend, and you're wondering, I wonder how their weekend went. So I'm going to call them up and find out how their weekend went. So you call your friends up and like, hey, how was your trip to Mount Vernon? Oh, Donna, it was just absolutely fabulous. And you're thinking, you know, thinking of Mount Vernon there at the yawn fest or anything else. You say, well, tell me all about it. Well, they said it was fabulous. We visited the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum, and you're 
sitting there thinking, what are you talking about? So you let her continue to talk on. And then they said, we went to the Lincoln Home National Historic Site. And you're getting even more confused. And, and we visited Washington Park. Oh, we have a veterans park. We ain't got no Washington Park here. But you let her keep talking. And she says, we went through those hiking trails. And we got no hiking trails here. And then, uh, then we visited Henson Robinson Zoo. And you're thinking, the only kind of zoo we got is dead animals on the side of the road and birds flying in the air and deer in the city of Mount Vernon. What in the world's going on? But you let her keep talking. And then she says, and then we let the kids play at the Knights Action Park and then go have fun in the sun and in the water of the Caribbean uh, uh, water adventure. And you're thinking, presidential museum and historical site. And we got an aquatic zoo. The city was too dumb to come up with a better creative name than aquatic zoo for the water park. And, you know, what in the world's going on here? So you finally ask, are you sure that you come to Mount Vernon? Well, Donna, not exactly. We were coming down south on Interstate 57, and our car broke down just right around Springfield. Uh, we didn't quite make it to Mount Vernon. We had a NMVD, a near Mount Vernon experience. We didn't quite make it there, but we had a near Mount Vernon experience. So anyway, you know, I'm sorry. I, th I think the leaders of this town missed out economically on so much that they could have done for this city. But anyway, that's not the point of this message. So if any of them listen and has family that works for the city of Mount Vernon, uh, you can take it out on me whenever. It's fine. Anyway, the only people who can accurately tell, tell you about what's in Mount Vernon are those who actually live there or have visited there or have researched it online and can tell you what is comprised of that city, which is not very much anyway. But it's the same thing with heaven, ladies and gentlemen. The only people who can really tell you what is in heaven with accuracy are those who have actually been there. And you have to be dead to be able to see what is in heaven, okay? The only people who can tell you about heaven are people who have been there or people who have also read it, what's given in God's word, the Bible. Near death is not death. Principle number two, remember, I said a minute ago, the Bible is sufficient. All of these books I listed earlier, and I'm sure there are others about these NDEs, even the ones written by, written by possibly well-intentioned Christians out there, have this basis, basic underlying presupposition that the Bible isn't sufficient to tell us all that there is in heaven. We have more information out there about heaven that we want you to tell you about. Pay us $19.95 and we'll send you that information about heaven. That's, that's the underlying basic uh, presupposition that the Bible is not sufficient. Remember uh, what Alex uh, Malarkey, or Mal Malarkey said in his confession? He said the Bible is sufficient. Now, if you want to follow along your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 for just a moment. And if you're turning there on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'll give you the, the quick rundown of why Paul had to write this letter to the church of Thessalonica. Remember, Paul was writing to Christians in the city of Thessalonica. And they were expecting, just like the Apostle Paul, I believe, was, for Christ to return during their lifetime. It was being delayed. It, Christ wasn't coming back at that time. And guess what was happening? Those, those first-generation Christians... They were dying finally. And these, their children and grandchildren were wondering, they're going to miss out 
on this great promise? Are we going? Are they going to miss out on Christ's second coming? What What is it? We need an answer for this. Are they going to miss out on the blessings of the Lord's return? And Paul gives them some assurance. And here we go. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through fifteen. He says, "But we do not want you to be uninformed, ignorant brethren, of those who are asleep." That word asleep quickly, and I'll get to the rest of the verse. That word asleep, the Bible, that's for Christians who have died. Their physical bodies are in the ground. The essence of who they are, their their spirits, their souls are in the presence of Jesus. They're not soul sleeping, just their physical bodies are temporarily in the ground, asleep. That's what it's referring to. He says, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Then after that, he goes on to explain the rapture of the church in those next verses. Paul said, you want comfort about your loved ones who are dead? Here's all you need to know. He emphasized that. He didn't didn't say, go uh, look at some other kind of writing. This is all you need to know. I'm sure this passage, as well as Revelation 21, verse 4, where God says in that day, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death or mourning or crying or pain, for the first things will have passed away. Those, I'm sure that will be great comfort for those families who may be watching or listening. I'm sure those verses have brought great comfort to them and peace when they have lost a loved one. Those are popular verses to give during funerals. Those words are not insufficient. Everything we need to know about heaven is contained in God's word. And then number three, this is a stern warning from God. Adding to or taking away from the Bible is condemned by God. Whenever people give any kind of revelation that comes from an NDE, always remember the stern words of Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. Remember, John was on the island of Patmos, and he was given the privilege to see down the corridor of history of the things that were still yet to come. These things haven't happened yet. And God's told John to write down some things, but some things don't you write down at all. And look what he says in verses 18 and 19. John says, I testify to everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. Very harsh, isn't it? Very harsh. And I didn't have this down, but this makes you remember quickly. Uh, when I was younger, I had a discussion with my Christian aunt, my dad's sister. I hope she don't ever listen to this, but this will be a jog her memory. When I told her, she's so avid, the only Bible is the King James Bible. She said, what you've got there, you're adding to. I said, absolutely not. I said, tell me how I'm adding to or taking away from God's word. I said, let me put it to you like this. The King James Bible, when it came out in 1611, 
it was a new translation. It wasn't the first English Bible. And it was inspired and written by government. If it works for you, great. Any version, it's all God's Word. And one day I'll show you where there are errors in the King James where it's not translated correctly. But it's still God's inspired Word. Just like the NIV, the New Living Translation, the New American Standard, the Christian Holman, you name it, they're all God's Word. He wants us to understand God's Word. That's not adding to or taking away from the Bible. Everything we need to know about our future is found in the book of Revelation and elsewhere. God says, don't add to it. And I'm afraid that many of these books that have been out in shelves that have sold millions and they've been lying in their pockets and profits from these books and these movies, perhaps written by well-intentioned Christians, I'm afraid they're teetering if they have not stepped over the line on God's warning of adding to His Word. Now, let's be clear. Now, I'm sorry. Do we really want to believe a little four-year-old Colton Burpo that says that God has two wings and that the Holy Spirit is blue in nature and is transparent? Do we really want to believe that? I, I'm sorry. I cannot believe that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God has two wings, okay? It's a very serious thing to add to what's written in God's Word. Now, Wednesday night, we're going to go through the rest of these, this criteria about near-death experiences. We've discussed the first three principles of evaluating these NDEs, that near-death is not death, that the Bible, God's Word, is sufficient, and that adding to or taking away from God's Word is condemned by God. Those of you listening, come back Wednesday night or whenever it's posted and listen to the remainder of this very informative message about near-death experiences as it relates to heaven. Let's bow together in prayer. Perhaps you're listening this morning. Perhaps you have had what you think is a near-death experience. And you're alive right now because God said it wasn't your time. We're talking about near-death experiences. Are they biblical? Are they not? Have people visited heaven and come back to tell about it? The main question is for those listening out there, if you're not a follower of Christ, heaven's not on your radar, but it can be. Heaven can be for you if you'll put your whole faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Heaven can be for you, your future destination. If God's Holy Spirit and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's weighing on your heart and in your mind. The pressure's on. You can't take no more. You realize you're at the end of your rope. You need a Savior. And only Jesus and Jesus alone by the, the, for the shedding of His blood and for the remission of our sins, the covering of our sins, is the only way to get to heaven. There is no other way but by Jesus alone. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Are you at that point this morning? Do you want to know that heaven is your, going to be your forever home one day? If God's Spirit is working on you, you can wherever you are, you can say or repeat along with me this simple prayer of faith. Knowing God is listening and that you really mean business with Him, you can say this simple prayer with me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. And I am truly sorry for all of those sins in my life. 
but I believe what I have heard today, that you love me so much, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Jesus, who took the punishment for my sins that I deserved, I deserved that hell. But Jesus took those sins for me on that old rugged cross, and I'm trusting in what Jesus did for me, shedding that precious blood to cover those sins in my life. Not by my good works, but only by what Jesus did for me on that cross. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And I'm praying right now that you will help me spend the rest of my life serving you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it with all of your heart, your future destination isn't hell separated from God forever and ever. It is eternity with God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment you take your last breath, you're in the, in the presence of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says to be absent from this body is to be at home with the Lord. You're now a follower of Christ. Your future destination is heaven. Your story will not be over when you die and leave this earth. You're going to want to tell everybody about what Jesus just did for you. He saved your soul. He made you whole again. He took you from that old self and brought you to a new way of life, a new way of thinking. Jesus is the center of your life now. Tell people about what Jesus just did for you and then get into a, it is so important, get into a Bible-believing church. If you don't get into a Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word and you think you can make it on your own, you're going to be sadly mistaken. You cannot make it without the local church. It's the idea of God, not man, to gather with like-minded believers so we can help each other grow. I can't grow and none of us can grow if we don't have like-minded believers to help edify us, to help lift us up, not only in times of distress, times of trouble, but to help encourage each other and to move forward in this Christian walk in a world that is, hates the things of God so much. Get into a Bible-believing church just like this one, Pleasant View Missionary Baptist Church. Our information is on our Facebook page or it's on our website, pvbaptistchurch.org. We have great sermons on there, information Daniel has comprised for us. Um, if you can't get into this church, get into a church as close to you that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word. It doesn't cherry pick or sugarcoat anything to make you feel good or things to be politically correct. The church shouldn't be politically correct. Get into a Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word from Genesis to the map and teaches about sin and what sin has done and is doing to this world. It's killing everything around us. Only Jesus one day is gonna come back to rectify sin and put it in its rightful place. Get into a Bible-believing church just like this one. Father God in heaven, I pray this morning that anyone by the sound of my voice that'll be listening to this message or someplace else, if they're in a church or listening someplace else, they hear that call of salvation coming on them and God's Spirit's working on them. I pray that no one will resist that call of salvation. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.